Thank you all for your giving. Thank you, Mr. Fabulous. You're not quite as pretty as the little girls that normally come to get those. But thank you anyway. Of course, I'm speaking of my granddaughter, so I can speak about how pretty they are without anybody thinking anything strange. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, the Lord has been putting on my heart is to read the book of Ephesians um, at least once a week because um, I see, and we all can readily see when we read this book, that these people were committed, that they were in the upper tier of service to the Lord. I recognize very clearly what Jesus wrote, spoke to them in Ephesians about their first love, or in Revelation about their first love, but um, that would be a word of warning for anybody who's on the front lines of serving. But when, when you see Paul's affinity for being amongst this church, you see the initial way that the Spirit led him to them, and uh, they were devotees to the repentance ministry of John the Baptist, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were transformed. Uh, I think in so many ways, this is the type of, uh, of army that God has prepared to receive from the saints as we go into South America. So I, I want to read this, and I want to hear something different every time I read it, because the Spirit is just that way. And I, it's only six chapters, so I would encourage you perhaps to to make that a regimen of a prayer or even put it on your audio Bible and listen to it and see what the Spirit will highlight each day. And um, I love the way he interweaves the ministry of the saints over and over again. Um, this is not a treatise on the whole book of Ephesians this morning, but one of the passages that we know and love is uh, the release of the fivefold offices and how initially that is for the perfecting of the saints. Um, the, these people were called to do exploits for the kingdom, and they weren't, they weren't messing around. They were going hard after the Lord. They were serving him. You know, the, the, the wonderful listing of, this, of the spiritual armor is there, and the wonderful listing of God revealing his mysteries in the presence of principalities and powers is there, and so on. Very deep, high-level uh, points of partnership with the Lord that shows that this church is is really on, uh, at least in the times when Paul was visiting uh, and what he wrote in this epistle, were on the cutting edge of what the Spirit was requiring. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Antioch where people were first called Christians. We do know in Acts 13 that the prophets and the teachers were functional in a powerful way and they came together, and they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, and Paul and Barnabas were sent forth uh, in the first apostolic ministry for them through them. But we don't know a whole lot about Antioch. In fact, Jesus didn't really address that church in the book of Revelation. But we do know a lot about Ephesians and, and Ephesus. And so I would just put that out there for you. But there are a few verses that I felt very strongly the Lord 
wanted us to consider today because they are um, verses that speak about what the Lord is undoubtedly doing in us in the midst of this, this wonderful, dare I say, a fast, but it's more of an invitation to commune with the Lord, uh, that regimen of serving him each night leading up to seminar. How does God work in us? Uh, how does the Father work in us? How does Jesus work in us? How does the Spirit work in us? And to me, the crux of this whole book of Ephesians is found in Ephesians 3, verses 15 through 19. Uh, these are the verses that the Lord gave me to specifically speak concerning how God is developing us. So Ephesians 3, 15 through 19, I'm not borrowing from anybody else's teaching. I'm just going on what God gave me to talk about regarding how he's working in us. Verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And, of course, then that next verse, <laughs> Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ the Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. That is a wonderful verse, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're focusing on what God is doing in you. So let's look at this first. Uh, we're asked in verse 16 that we would allow God to strengthen us with might by his spirit in the inner man. Why is this with the riches of his glory? To me, the most, arguably, one of the most, one of the most precious treasures that God has is the riches of his glory. And why is that? Because that's the yearning of God to do something new that he has ordained from the foundation of the world to release that into his kingdom and to do it in conjunction with you. That is the most precious treasure God has. Now, God is love. God is agape. I'm not talking about the character of God. I'm talking about what he wants to do and how he wants to do it with you. So his, his delight is his children. His delight is in being able to fulfill what his plan originally was and is for you and me. And that's the riches of his glory. We have been given an amazing invitation in his glory as, um, in so many ways, forerunners of this message of the saints. And um, that's a partnership with God for something that he's developing for the end time, which we're in, I think, if we're not in it yet, it'll doodle it gets here. Um, you know, 
we are we are in a position where those people groups that we read about in the book of Revelation and in Daniel, um, this revelation of what the saints really are and how they function is still largely unknown. But it's it's something that the Father has shared with us. And why is that so important? Because that's the type of people that yearn to fulfill his will, that yearn to see what his purpose was from the foundation of the earth actually brought into fruition. And that's saying, Father, what is most important to you? How can I serve you? How can I be a son that will work with you to see what you want done accomplished? And that's, that's the calling of the saints but each of those assignments are his glory. And so the riches of his glory is really speaking into that thing that God treasures most. And that is the, uh, that is the platform upon which God then chooses to develop us. So out of that framework, the riches of his glory, we need to be strengthened with might by his spirit into the inner man. Now, strengthened, as, as those of you with your handy-dandy Bible programs will see, strengthened is that criteo derivative that speaks about the power of the throne. So what God has ordained from his throne for your life, for our mission in his glory, that's the, that is the framework from which this strengthening comes. And it is targeted into his spirit within us, in the inner man. We're strengthened with might, with dunamis. And essentially, that's just that we would function. So God ordains in this period, I want them in their functioning for me to now engage in something beyond what they've known. And I, I'm declaring that from the throne. And, and uh, there's going to be a functionality of, of the spirit within um, each of us that is born again only through the blood of Christ and that, that that would be being accomplished. It's not by might or by power, but by his spirit. Everything is uh, initiated by the spirit of God. Your identity, your life is functioning on behalf of the furnace of his fire within you. And um, so God ordains at certain frameworks of our development from his throne. It's time for this to come online. It's time for this dimension of your identity through my spirit within you, that my son gave his life that it might come to life. It's time for this to be initiated. And so functionality needs to be welcomed. And you, you need to let your spirit begin to expand into the next dimension of development. You know, see, that, that is, again, a framework that we've talked about, that um, the tetheme, the tithe in the New Testament, speaks about beginnings, whether it's financial sowing of the seed forward or whether it's that same word translated as ordaining. You begin in ministry. Hands are laid on you so that that seed of what God has called you to be will begin to develop. That's tethemi. That's ordination. And so, uh, but, but that, uh, that keep on being changed from glory to glory is happening in you. 
And so I think I know that at this time frame in every one of you, what I talked about on Wednesday night about being changed and stepping into that point of conversion uh, into a new day in God so that you can then strengthen your brethren. You can then be an example and pioneer into the new things of the Lord. That development continues to go on, but it's all orchestrated by the timing of the throne of the Father, who the Scripture said previous to this uh, was how God was going to reveal his mysteries, those things hidden from the foundation of the world that now through the ecclesia he's doing. But we have to have this done within us. So God, according to what he wants to accomplish in his glory, looks at you and says, according to my will at the throne, I want the spirit within you to take a step forward. I want you to see development and growth. I want you to see an expansion of how you serve me, and, and I release functionality into that. Now, that's not just, hey, brother, lay hands on me and impart this to me. You know, this is a partnership. This is something that you have to, you, you have to accept and then yield yourself to God as you're becoming accustomed to how this happens. You know, when a baby is born, um, the, the attending physicians make sure that that child hasn't just come out, that, that the child is actually breathing, that the child is actually showing functions of life. That, that, and, and so when God begins to do something in you, you have to cherish that. You become as a little child and you have to make sure that you're submitting yourself to God so that whatever God initiates from his throne and how he sparks, you, te you take that more seriously than if you were holding a newborn in your arms because it's, it's God's development in you. And, and so there's a responsibility to this, which is, again, why I think this elongated period of time with this rather simple exercise of welcoming Jesus every night is so important. It's, it's you becoming acclimated to this new realm of service to God and uh, that, that you would have in your growing pains, you would, you would learn not to be as awkward in your maneuvers in it. I mean, I just think it's interesting. So from his glory... We're strengthened with might, krateo and dunamis, by the Spirit within us. And that's very important. Now look at this one. That Christ, the anointed Son of God, may dwell, devoted to the will of the Father, may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now that's interesting. Here is that Jesus lives in my heart that we, we've heard since we were little kids. And that really old but still kind of cute joke about um, uh, the little kid that was had his uh, had his uh, head on the chest of his mom, and uh, and uh, he had just been hearing the story about how Jesus lives within, and he looked at his mom. He says, "Sounds like Jesus is making coffee in there," <laughs> and. Uh, that, you know, Christ lives in your heart. What does that mean? He lives in that steering wheel of your life. 
He lives in that place whether, which judges and dictates whether you're going to follow the Lord or follow some other thing or follow the will of the Father or follow the will of the world or your own will. And that's where Christ dwells, in your heart. And what we've studied about the heart, that is your place of committing the spirit, the mind, the emotions, everything that you are to stay on the pathway of God. And... Um, you know, this is not a, a regaling again of our teaching on the heart, but um, that's where Christ dwells because, you know, he, he, the Bible says that it, to become a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. He was on all points tested like as we are. He knows the oppositions that come to a person who wants to observe the will of the Father. And those oppositions are largely fought in that place of what we know as the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? There, there is always a battle. The Apostle Paul spoke about that. You know, I have this war that's going on with me. What I know I should do, I don't want to do. And it goes on and on. We will always have to be submitting our hearts to God. You know, and we got to be careful that... Uh, the, the people draw near with their lips, but their heart is far from us. That's happening in churches all over this city, and I hope not in this house today. But we've, we've got to submit that heart because that's where Jesus dwells. That's where the anointed son desirous of, that's what Christ means, the anointed son desirous of doing the will of the Father dwells. And he's the one that is dealing with us. There's a whole lot of things that he's doing in conjunction with what the Father has ordained in our spirit and how we are to yield ourselves to follow and to uh, acclimate ourselves to serve that will of the Father individually and as a people. And so here is Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith that we would be rooted and grounded in agape. Well, what does that mean? Well, agape, from what we've studied ad infinitum, is that we are breathing hard after the purpose of God. It's not benevolence. It's not philanthropic work. It's not the uh, watered-down translation of what charity means, which can mean just about anything to anybody. But uh, agape is to really be passionate for the will of the Father. God is love. He is desirous of his will being done because it's perfect. And he's desirous of you embracing that will and coming along with him. Um, so what does it mean to be rooted and grounded? Well, first of all, rooted means that you're anchored there. You're not vacillating. You're not given it the old college try today, but tomorrow we'll try something else. You're rooted there, and then you're grounded. Grounded is not a disciplinary thing where you can't play with your phone this week. Um, grounded is to expand off of that, to expand the footprint upon where you are, uh, where you are planted in the agape. Um, and and that's, that's stability, but it's also positioning to expand and to grow. So Christ is... Um, is dwelling in our hearts through faith, our commission from the Father, and that we would be rooted and grounded in agape. That's our driving force. So when Christ comes to us, 
he's going to address things in our heart and he's really going to evaluate with you how devoted you still are to the passion of the Father because the greatest gift of all is that agape. Faith, hope, and agape. But the greatest of these is agape. If, you, if the fire in your furnace has gone dim, the Lord's going to address that. And I don't know how he'll do it in you, but, but he will. He will. I, I mean, I've had some encounters trying to process what exactly this means in, in each of our lives through the experiences that Jesus is, is, is um, offering to us. It's kind of different. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of difficult to, to gain the nuance of each. But I can just say this. There have been times in these past couple of weeks where the Spirit of the Lord would come over me during these times where, um, uh, where I'm waiting upon Jesus. And it can happen at any time during the night as God chooses. But for me, there's been at least three occasions where I have felt something rush from deep within my spirit and just just explode for want of a better term out of my face out of my and and with that I just feel like I'm gasping for air uh, and and I, I feel like there's there's an expansion going on and and it's like it's like something has come to life uh, maybe maybe in a place that had gotten cold one time with, with many, many tears streaming down my face, this happened. And I knew that it was a mixture of God doing something new and a measure of repentance in regard to how I have or have not handled his agape. And, and I know that the Lord is working these dimensions in us. Each one of these things, to me, is the heart of this book of Ephesians where Paul can talk about warfare, he can talk about the heavenly places, the heavenly seats, he can talk about all these things, but none of those mean diddly to you if you're not functioning in the depth of the heart of God, where Jesus dwells. And so that's what Christ is doing. He is observing your heart, how you're submitting yourself to what the Father is asking. Are you willing to work in tandem with Christ, your elder brother? Uh, are you willing to submit the steering wheel of your life with all of its intricacies, with all of its challenges to him? And he's chastening and he's correcting because God loves you. And that's really the place where this happens. It really is. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, that you might be sons and not bastards. That's what the King James says, so I can say that on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, that is, really, that is really what's going on. And it's not about you coming to the altar and asking forgiveness for your sins. That, you know, we should be submitting ourselves to the Lord. But you can, you can, you can ask God to forgive things you've done all day long. But until you say, from here, I'm going forward, what good does that do? I'm speaking as a veteran of being in the church for decades now and pastoring. And, and I can tell you that it really doesn't matter um, 
you know, well begun is half done. In fact, that's probably a, small, a much smaller percentage. Uh, just coming up every year and asking God to forgive you for your sins in the great revival meeting, that's great. But where do you go from there? Do you keep growing in grace? Do you keep submitting yourself to actually become something that that whole business of forgiveness has given you the latitude to pursue? That's what's most important to the Lord. He wants you to grow. Just like any of us as parents or grandparents want to see our progeny growing and developing. It's not enough that they just have life. It's not enough that we can give them food to eat and provide clothing for them. But are they growing and developing? That's essential for us. And for God, it's of the utmost uh, dimension of essentiality. And so we, we need to know that Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith and he's observing our, our, uh, our offering of agape. Are we rooted and grounded there? Because that's the essence. If you're not rooted and grounded, you can't build anything. If you're not rooted and grounded, you're not going to have the, the energy and the furnace of the Spirit of the Lord to move forward. But it goes on from there. When this happens, that you would be able to comprehend with all saints. Now, comprehend there. Let me just talk about this. It does not just mean to be, oh, yeah, I get it. Because this, this word really means to reach forward and attain something. So comprehending here is not a head learning, even though that is essential. It's you gaining some, uh, some measure of acuity in God for, from the basis of all the things that have just happened. Your spirit is activated. Christ is dealing in your heart. You're rooted and grounded in agape. And now God begins to show you height, death, width, breath. But it's something that you reach forward into. And I even love the, the progression here. We've talked about this on many occasions. The first is the breadth. And that really speaks about you being grounded. What are you doing on the right hand and the left? What are you doing behind you and in front of you? Do you really understand your place, your terio, your assignment? Are you reaching for that becoming everything God wants it to be? Not just learning about it, but insisting upon it being done. That breadth, the circumference of who you are in God, where you've been rooted and grounded, you begin to develop that. And this follows the flow pattern of so many other developmental stratagems that are in the Scripture. We've talked about many of them. But the breadth is first. And then from there, if you've got that Peretz, the length. What is God put immediately ahead of you in vision? You reach forward to attain that in intercession, in obedience, prophetically. You reach forward to that. So you've got a Peretz and a Peretz there. And then the depth. I mean, now you're dealing, and I think this is sequential. I mean, it, it, uh, length and breadth, breadth and length, is something that we deal with on a surface periphery. 
But then you begin to deal in the depths, the bathos, the meat of God. You begin to deal in the depth of the histeme that God has given. You begin to, and you've done these other things, then you are drawing from resources the deposits of the glory that God has placed in this locale where he has called you to serve through the power of the cross. And much like uh, Jacob at Bethel, you set that place of meeting with God, and God will lead you into that. He, Jesus is a, also in, in Ephesians, it says Jesus is the one that created all this. And he's the chief cornerstone. When it got about ready for God to say, okay, it's time for Les and Mark and Dennis to be born, the enemy said, no, 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 no. Now, again, I know God knows all things from the beginning, so his plan wasn't interrupted on the timeline. But the enemy decided to kill that. But Jesus is the one who orchestrated all this. And he certainly knows what God had ordained in this place where you serve to bring him glory and majesty. So that begins to develop. And it's like Jacob at Bethel, where you have that commune with Elohim, and then the stelos, that ladder into heaven where Yahweh is looking down. That's what comes next. The height where you're welcoming the kingdom to earth. So height, death, width, uh, well, I say it in proper form. Breadth, length, depth, and height is to me sequential. And that's what God is doing in you, in your personal life, and in your development. And to, to know the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ, that's a rich term. To know the agape of Christ. And what does it say? Which passes knowledge. Now, some people have said, and I used to hear that, oh, don't go to seminary. You know what that rhymes with is cemetery. And I understand that. I remember when I was um, interning with Pastor Noah, he warned me about a couple of seminaries here in Dallas. He said, don't ever go there. They'll destroy your faith. And I honored that. Um, but this is not some disclaimer against having knowledge. What does this really say, which passes knowledge? Passes there is hyperbolo, to throw beyond. So whatever God is revealing to you, He's revealing it to you for the purpose of equipping you to go beyond that place. And this is just the pattern of God. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here you have the Spirit. You have Jesus and you have the fullness of God of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So you've got the Godhead all working together with you and with me to accomplish what God is needing from us as uh, in the heart of this treatise to these warriors, these soldiers, these saints, and... Um, we, we're, we're called to this group of people. And so God doing a work in us um, is to prepare us for, for what is coming, to throw beyond, to see and vision what God has for us. So 
when, when we come to the evening in this really simple invitation, and we say, Lord Jesus, I, I hear your voice. I've heard this prophetic directive. And, and I, I want to attain that gold, that weightiness, that currency, that malleability to become what you want me to be in representing you. And, and as I accept that, I want this new garment that identifies my vulnerability to you, but the purity of righteousness so that I can represent you. It's, an, it's, it's, it's almost like a, uh, a visa in the spirit realm of commune with you, but also representing you. And, and I, I really desperately need those things so that I can accomplish the task that, that, you have, have, that you have given to me. I mean, this is, this is what Christ is, is doing in us right, right now, or at least attempting to do in, in us right now. And um, we, we need to have our perceptions realized. I need greater perception. I need that eye salve. I need that anointing upon my perceptions and, and I love this because it, back to Revelation 3, um, he, he sums it up by saying that um, you would be granted to sit with him in his throne even as he overcame and sat down with the Father in his throne. The sitting there is, is a rather unique term, and this is a teaching all on its own, but it, but it really speaks of being enabled through the process of overcoming to be able to activate and cause a proper flow, an authority to speak into the life-giving flow. Uh, I, I don't think we realize what's at stake here in this moment and what God is preparing you for and how important and vital this is so that you can serve him in the authority that is going to be commensurate with where we're going and what we're going to be asked to do. This is not just some unique little prophetic thing that we're doing and it's going to be fun and we can tell about it for years. This is an equipping. This is sitting down with our Lord Jesus, our elder brother, and uh, he, he is he's really evaluating where you are and and trying to get you to a position where you are prepared and ready to serve alongside him with the father and the things that are going to be unlocked the things that are going to be opened the release of his authority um, is is what you're being prepared for because you know, authority is not just given to idiots. I mean, it's just true. Christians talk about the authority we have, but the maturity level of what you do with that authority is, is often in question. But before God really releases his authority, according to the flow pattern of the power words in the New Testament, you've got to be commissioned at the throne You've got to be uh, directed for 
uh, whatever he's trying to do upon the earth, and then, and only then, does the exousia of authority come, which then gives you the ability to speak into dunamis, and then you can see the flow pattern of the greater works, the megas. So what God from his throne is really preparing you for, specifically on behalf of continents right now, and that is a very real and practical application which is right happening right now. You know that. And the authority he's given is for you to represent him. But again, um, we, we have to be made ready for that. It's not just lay hands on me and part it. Well, if it says it in the word, brother, it's mine. There's a whole lot of stuff that's in the Word that um, it, it entails you being in partnership with the Lord. How many prophetic words did God say, okay, do you really want to be free? He says it to a blind guy, to a deaf guy. Well, of course, well, I don't know if the deaf guy heard. But, you know, he says these things, and they have to say yes. All right, I'll tell you what you do. You go and you do this. You obey this. What's that in your hand? What hast thou in thine hand? Or you go and dip in this river, and you go and do these things. Well, I don't want to do that. What does he mean? I mean, if it was just as simple as, there it is. It's a partnership. And there are things right now that God is offering to you, and he's saying, how much are you willing to do to align yourself with me? It's, it's not just the prospect, well, every promise in the word is mine. Well, yeah, I believe that. But how do you partner with God? What is, is he just doling out uh, uh, the government dole to children to do what they want with it? Or is he trying to develop sons? What's God's aspect here? Does he just want a house full of kids that just run around asking, Daddy, 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 do this for me? Or does he want someone to stand up and look at my son over there? Have you considered my son? Do you see how he's representing me? How she's representing me? That's what God's wanting. And so authority comes from you submitting yourself to the throne and you accepting what God has asked for you to do, whether you understand it all right now or not. You're partnering with him. And then authority comes. And then the journey really begins. You're walking with Christ. You're seeing things. And it's not just you having authority to go whatever you darn well please. That's a Pentecostal swear word. You can say darn. Uh, <laughs> I'll go on. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a discipline. Are, are you worthy? Are you accepting the burden of the Lord and committing to his mission for him to entrust this authority and the power of the right hand of the throne to you. That's a heady thing. But that's what it says he's doing here. So I'm not trying to lay a heavy trip on you. I'm just trying to assert what God is trying to do in you right now is of utmost importance. And it's his work. You know, I mentioned having a dream recently. I've had a couple of these. Really weird stuff. I remember the days when we used to wake up and we've been warring against armies and all those things. I think we were doing that just to stay alive here. And now God is developing us. But I woke up one morning and I had this wacky dream where I was doing something. It wasn't some horrible sin. 
I wasn't stalking Nancy to murder or anything. You know, it was who would ever do that anyway? But you know, well, it, but and I just did some wacky thing, and I woke up and, and I thought, well, that was a weird dream, and I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you doing that, and I thought, well, I would never do that. That was my first response. And so then I went into the front room and sat there in the dark under my blankie. And I, I was saying, Lord, what does that really mean? And he began to talk to me. I, I let you see that in this really simplistic form. But what are the ramifications of that? When you represent me, you can't even get near that. You can't, you can't even think of that. And it was, it's been some of the weirdest conversations. And I, I say that, Lord. Let me rephrase. Some of the most unexpected conversations with the Lord in this business of chastening. And um, in a way, I'm kind of glad that they're, they're obscure things because that means that I'm not filled with a lot of <laughs> nefarious things that the Lord needs to straighten out. It's just nuances of how you represent. What is the protocol of representing the power of God? What do you need to be careful of in this? Like there are some weird, I uh, said that word again. There are some really obscure things that the word of God shares. Like when he says to the prophet, okay, this Syrian general is going to come to you and there's going to be a miracle that happens. I don't want you taking anything from him. You just don't do it. And then when Eliezer goes after and he gets something, and boy, is he smitten with leprosy. That's terrible. But I'm thinking, well, what would be the harm? You know, you just think about this. What would be the harm of the prophet receiving some measure of an offering? Isn't that what churches are supposed to have? Uh, but God says, don't, don't take anything. Even when God sent them to Ai and... Uh, and uh, Prior, in that whole episode, they got thwarted because somebody uh, took something from the spoils of the last victory, and God said, I don't want you taking any of it. And this doesn't really have to do with money. It's just the nuances of you obeying God, even though in your rational mind, you would think, well, what would be the harm in that? You know, to the victors belong the spoils. And throughout the rest of Israel's history, boy, they were, they were kicking it and taking names and gathering all kinds of things. But when God says, don't do it, don't you dare do it, then you've got to be careful to obey that. Because with great power and great victories, God is looking at, at nuances and, and aspects of things that mean something to him and mean something in the spirit realm and you don't need to be dabbling on the line of that. So I think there's a lot of ways that only Jesus could be addressing our heart and saying, you've not been doing this, you've not been doing bad things, but I want you to consider this really odd dream and find yourself in it, and then let's talk about it. It's an illustrated sermon, as it were. And I pray that those lessons stick. I don't know what God's been doing in you, and I don't know how he's been speaking to you, but you would do well not to just jot it down and move on to the next thing. This is a conversation with the Lord. He's there in your room with you. Ask him.
Talk to him about it. He wants that. That's the onus of him coming in and supping with you. And it, it'll do you good to spend some, have a little talk with Jesus. But don't tell him all about your problems. Talk to him about what he's there to do. All right. I think I've said it all. I've said more than I should probably. But this is just a heartbeat of how the Lord is wanting to work in you. And, and again, the spirit within, the Father's plan, where is Jesus in that? In your heart. He's addressing how you obey, how you react, how you shouldn't react. That's what chastening really is. It's not hooked up to the whipping post because you've been a bad little fella. It's God training you to move forward. And that's a hard thing for a lot of Christians and saints to, to really accept because we think that we're just the most peachy keen thing that God has ever created and how much he loves me. And, oh, we, 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 oh I, I just feel him. Oh, that's great. But he wants us to be as one with him so that we would be Christ-like. And honestly, okay, here, here we come back. And I, did I, Dros, did I say I was done? Don't remind me. Um, that, that's another one of the, of the framework of, of being seated because there's a, there's a duplicity there in that where you are, you are representing with the same, the same authority and, and I think that that's what really indicates being a joint heir. We can be heirs. We can be entrusted with things. God has done that for us. We go out, we know where to accomplish a mission for him, and we feel his presence, and we know God is there. That is a wonderful thing, but the next stage of development is being a joint heir. And I think that that's what partially the Lord is trying to do in us. And that's why he's coming and he's talking to us. Look, when we're out on the field, I don't want you doing this. When we're out ministering in things that you don't know are coming, but I know are coming, you need to make sure you guard over this. Because you are not only representing me, you're a joint heir with me. And we've got to be so precise with that. It's nothing to fool around with. There's no discretionary measure in being a joint heir. You represent the Father. And you represent him because of Christ. And this is ultimately, if not the highest, it's up there, level of how you serve him. And that's where, that's where God is trying to really perfect our walk in him. And so, um, and, and, and really, there are aspects in the Old Testament, we were studying this the other day, where the double, where the double is mentioned. A double is not just intimacy, it's a duplicity, where God is drawing you near and saying, okay, here's, here is what I really want from you. Here is how I want you to become like me.
O Jerusalem and Jerusalem, how often did the Father want to draw you to him as a hen would gather its chicks, the developmental stage, but you would not. Double issuance. Moses, Moses. It, you know, it's, it's for the purpose of us representing him. Yes, it is intimacy. But it is that intimate speaking into who we are that we would become something more like him than we've been. And you better hear this if you hear anything. I'm going to repeat your name twice, but it's, it's to let you know my voice. My ultimate objective is you to represent me in this and to become what I want. And I think that's a lot of what is happening right now in you. So let that work continue. And let some of it simmer. You know, let, let the pot have its time of, of, um, of, uh, of becoming the essence of it released into the framework. Don't just be spilling in a, hey, I got a bunch of carrots, let me show them to you. Just let them stew for a while, okay? That's why this is a long process. And, and so let God have that work and let his spirit guide. And I, I, Rose, I really am done now. I'm giving Bev a break today. I'm, I'm picking on you. Father, I thank you that as we come before you at this time of communion, this precious table of grace, that um, as we share a similar form as this each night, that at this common table, you would do this work within us as a body and within this universal body of the saints that you've allowed us to come alongside of. Jesus, I welcome you here in your kingdom that you would minister what you desire to minister through this table time with you. I will welcome your presence. Have your way in us. And do your perfect work that we might be all that you need us to be. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.